Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we are discussing Sabriel by Garth Nix. We are also joined by a guest. So uh, Vicky's sister, Sydney, has joined us today. She's read Sabriel a jillion times. So Sydney, you want to say hi and tell us a little bit about why you love Sabriel so much? Yes. Hey, hi, everyone. Um, thanks for having me back. Uh, this is definitely one of my like all-time favorite books. I probably read it as like a teenager, preteen, something like that. So it was... Just like, you know, it was such a fun thing to have this, you know, younger girl who goes off on this grand fantasy adventure, and it just really stuck with me, and it's been one of those books that I've, like, turned to whenever I'm like, I just, you know, I want a good, fun book that I, you know, know, and whatever, so yeah, I've read this, I've read this book at least, like, 10 times, <laughs> and I've bought it in paperback, and I've bought it in Kindle form and I almost rebought it in Kindle form. <laughs> um, and I've read a couple of the, the um, sequels to it and they're all super fun. So yeah, thanks for letting me join and talk about this book. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Uh, so I will mention our characters and locations. Sydney's going to go over some of the bells that are that are part of um, our main characters, what tools that she used, as well as an explanation of death in this world. And then Vicky will go over our plot. All right, so let's start with our characters. We have the Avorsen, it is, who is a necromancer. Um, but unlike other necromancers who raise and raise the dead, um, the Aforsen uses his or her ability only to settle the dead. And so they, they don't, they don't bring people back to life. And this is a well-respected title. There's been an, an Aforsen throughout history in this world. Um, in this book, the Aforsen is a title, but it's also our main character's father. So our main character is Sabriel. Sabriel's a young girl. She's about 18 years old, and she's um, just graduated from her boarding school at Wyverly College, and that's where she's been um, since she was five years old, learning to do and home magic. She's also trained on the side with her father, the Aforsen, uh, and how to use the Aforsen's powers of necromancy using bells, which are the Aforsen's tools and a sword, also a tool to lay the dead and undead to rest. We have Mogget, which is a sort of unwilling servant to the Aforsen and has been for a long time. So he appears to Sabriel as a cat who talks and wears a red collar with one of the Aforsen's bells on it. And that is what binds him to that form as a servant. He's definitely not actually a cat, uh, and the collar is what helps to maintain his servitude. And so without it, he's like a scary, super powerful, ambiguously described monster who hasn't really appreciated being kept in servitude. 
We have Touchstone, who is the bastard prince of the Old Kingdom, who has been kept for approximately 200 years in a preserved unconscious state as a ship's figurehead. He calls himself Touchstone out of, out of shame for the mistakes that he made 200 years ago. He is very helpful to Sabriel. We have Caragor slash Roger. So Roger was the prince of the Old Kingdom and was friends with Touchstone in their youth, but they grew apart. He sought to gain more power um, and so preserved himself in death and is now Caragor, the super bad guy in our story. He is one of the greater dead and has been the enemy of the Aforsen for the last 200 years. And then we have Colonel Horace, who is just a nice guy. He's in charge of the outpost in, outpost in Encelstir uh, that maintains the wall between that city and the Old Kingdom. So that takes us to our locations. We have Wyverly College, uh, which is where Sabriel went to school, and it's located in Encelstir, near Encelstir. Um, so that's the town that abuts the Old Kingdom. And it is separated by a wall. The Old Kingdom is a magical country, which is on the north side of the wall between next to Encelsier. And free magic and charter magic are used there. And so free magic tends to be pretty dangerous. And because of its magic and because the Old Kingdom ruling family fell 200 years ago, um, magic and monsters there are quite dangerous. And then we have Belisere, which is the capital of the Old Kingdom. Sydney, do you want to talk about death and bells? Yeah, death. Also death. So fun, right? Death. Um, we spend a lot of time in death in this book, well, Sabriel being a necromancer and all. And so death is depicted as a gray, gray, misty kind of river. And it flows through a total of nine gates, although we only get to see about four of them in this book. Um, and so each gate is represented by some sort of different water phenomenon, and the current will like change between each gate. So when you first go into death, the water is about half deep with a pretty steady current. And when you reach the first gate, you have kind of like a curtain or mist of water and then um, a bunch of waterfalls. Uh, the most necromancers and abhorsons and stuff all know secret kind of spells to get through all of these without getting like sucked under into the current. Um, so the second precinct is really dark with deep holes in it to kind of pull you down, um, leading to the second gate, which is a big whirlpool. The third precinct is pretty shallow, but it has big, large waves to kind of carry the dead and dead creatures through the third gate, which is another um, mist-covered waterfall. And then leading back into the fourth gate, which is pretty similar to right where you enter death of just being a calf-deep current, and then ends in another shallow but pretty strong waterfall. And that's about as far as we get into um, death in this book but as you keep going i think the you know the dead that reside in each precinct get stronger and more scary 
Um, yeah. Uh, so then to end your death, you kind of want your bells um, because the dead respond to various musical notes. So the bells are there to kind of help um, help necromancers and, and the abhorsons dealing with with death. So you can also, if you don't have your bells, you can also hum or whistle. Um, but your bells are better. So from smallest to largest, we have Rana, the sleep bringer, that will help put both the dead to sleep and and those living. Um, Morris, Morisol, the waker, so it's going to wake everybody up. So you want to be careful with that one if you're in death. Um, Kebeth, the walker, so it can either um, give freedom of movement to a creature that might be stuck or to walk a spirit back further into death. Uh, Dirum uh, helps to either restore speech or will silence uh, a creature. Belgares, the thinking bell, can respond Sorry, can restore independent thought to a dead creature. Sereneth, the binder, binds the dead to the wielder's will. And that's actually the miniature bell that's on um, Mogget's collar to help bind him to the abhorsed. And Aristotle, the banisher, and it sends everyone who hears it into death. So. I will take over with the plot. So our book begins with 18-year-old necromancer, Sabriel. She's in her final year of boarding school and is deciding between going on to university or staying near the Old Kingdom where her father, Abhorson, lives. One night, she's supposed to meet with her father and while waiting, a young girl tells her that a black shape got into the dormitory. So she rushes to help and encounters a dead servant who was sent by her father. She realizes that a person is either dead or trapped in death. With his dead servant, though, he is able to send her his sword and bandolier of belts that are used to bind spirits, tools of a necromancer. It's explained that unlike many necromancers, a person did not raise the dead, but rather spent his time binding the dead and sending them beyond the ninth and final gate of death. Sabriel decides she must find her father. In order to do so, she has to travel to the Old Kingdom, a place full of magic and dangerous creatures. The Old Kingdom is separated from Anselstir by a wall, creating a divide between the magical world and the more technologically advanced Anselstir. While Sabriel is a powerful necromancer, she has spent the majority of her life in Anselstir away from the strong magic found in the Old Kingdom. When she arrives in the Old Kingdom, she crosses into death to summon a guide to get her to her father's house. As she returns to life, she's greeted by a reanimated corpse that has been possessed. As she starts sending him back to death using the bells, um, he starts crossing over and tells her that he will be avenged by Karagor. Then she is basically immediately followed by a Morricon, um, which is a dead spirit infused with free magic. She manages to keep ahead of the spirit, but just barely. Uh, she finally is able to get to her father's house, where she is greeted by Mogget, a free magic being who appears as a white cat who's likely evil. He informs her that he has served the past 10 generations of Abhorsons and helped to guide them. So she asks for his help to find her father and rescue him. He agrees. 
However, due to a geese, he is unable to inform her of certain issues. He does tell her that her father was going to the capital, Belisere, to help rid the city of the dead. In order to get to the city, they have to take a paper wing, a plane-like creation made by a previous Aporson. Unfortunately, they find themselves attacked by gore crows, and Sabriel takes Mogot's collar off. He transform and he transforms into a scary free magic light being and saves them from the crows, but they crash into a sinkhole. When they regain consciousness, Mogget, in his free magic form, tries to kill Sabriel, but she rebinds him. It turns out that the sinkhole is actually the burial place for royals, and it has several funeral boats in it. On one plane boat, Sabriel notices an incredibly detailed and lifelike male figurehead. She realizes it's actually a person trapped as a figurehead. So she crosses over into death, finds his spirit, and is able to wake him up. Mogget gives him the name of Touchstone. Sabriel is excited to have more company, and she tries to get to know him. He informs her that he was a royal guard 200 years ago, but that he only wants to serve her. This is frustrating to Sabriel, as she wants normal company. They continue on to Belisere. In order to get there, they have to take a boat. While on that journey, they realize that the geese is temporarily lifted by being out on open water, and it's revealed that Caragor is actually the prince of the Old Kingdom, and that he killed his mother and sister in order to gain more power. The Aporson at the time was able to send him into death, but Caragor has been spending centuries planning his return and gaining power and followers. In order to do this, he's been slowly destroying charter stones, which disrupts the balance between charter magic and free magic. Um, and charter stones are not easily destroyed. It requires a blood sacrifice, and the greater charter stones require royal blood. They arrive in Belisere, where they find out that citizens have been trying to live with the dead creatures by imposing things like curfew. They decide that the best place to look for a porcelain is in the reservoir under the palace where the original slayings happened and where one of the original starter charter stones is located. There, they find a porcelain frozen in status while he is trapped in death. Sabriel and Touchstone create a new protection barrier so that Sabriel can go into death and find her father. When she enters, she finds her father at the fourth gate. She is able to speak with him and they develop a plan to stop Caragor. Together, they rush back into, into life just in time because Touchstone and Mogget are surrounded by shadow hands and Caragor is antagonizing them. Sabriel grabs Touchstone and they run out of the reservoir. Mogget and her father are left behind to fight, but it is a suicide mission and her father rings Astral, calling all who hear it to death. Sabriel is now officially the new Eporson. She and Touchstone set off to find Caragor's body and destroy it in order to keep him from rising ever again. They visit the Clare sisters, who inform them that Caragor's body is actually in Ancelstir. They show Sabriel the specific location, which is not too far from her boarding school. Touchstone and Sabriel take paper wings to the wall to cross back over into Ancelstir. So it happens. Can they defeat Caragor, or are they unable to overcome ancient evil? You'll have to read the book or listen to find out. Spoilers ahead. So she and Touchstone succeed, right? They kill or destroy Caragor's body. They do. Good. So. Yeah. Vicky, you'd read this book before. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You read it 10 times too? No, I think this is the third time I read it. Okay. So. So. I'm curious. So you're, Marissa, you're the 
only one who's read this only, right? This is your first time reading it. So first read. Yeah. How did you like it? I really liked it. I have questions. And so I'm assuming they will be answered in the book that follows. Like there, I want to know more about Mogget and also the abhorson and um, just like the world in general. So I'm assuming that you find out or like, especially Mogget, because it says that he's a wall maker, I think. And then that's it. Okay. Yeah. He's like the, what is the that? <laughs> he's the wall makers relic. I, honestly, I don't think they end up, I don't remember learning that much more about Mogget in any of the like sequels going forward. He's like, I don't know why he's so salty. Like he's, he's just a sassy, like a sassy being. I mean, it could just be his personality, <laughs> but also like, like, why does he hate the abhorsen so much? Like if the wall maker the wall maker made him mm-hmm. right because um when Sabriel meets up with her father in death they kind of talk about him and he's the wall maker's relic kind of like their child like they made him secondary and clearly he must have gone like running amok and in an abhorsen was like no no you can't do this anymore yeah. now you're gonna come live with me but um but yeah I don't I don't remember knowing too much more than that about him. Well, darn. Maybe the internet has some theories. I'll look it up. But I really, I really enjoyed the story. It made me want to read the other books in the series. So I liked it a lot. Um, this is like a young adult book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the genre. I guess it, I was surprised at how many people died. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. thinking it like especially at the end like there's a bunch of dead people and like a lot of us too yeah like children like (laughs) oh gosh like this is is not intense for a young adult (laughs) book but I I don't know I guess when I was thinking I was thinking maybe the first when I was reading through it like is this for kids because this is kind of heavy young adult makes more sense to me now but still it's a lot of like dead children yeah (laughs) Or using children as bait. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. The slavers. I was like, okay, we're doing this, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So that was surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, a book about necromancy gets dark pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I guess I just always think like, if you're going to kill people, it's going to be adults. Nope, we went for the kids this time. So, <laughs> killing some good friends. Just yeah, yep. like her best friend at school, dead. Her yep. teacher spiked. <laughs> <laughs> that was brutal. It's like there's a giant splinter in her head. There's no way she's alive. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I guess we're taking it there. Yep. <laughs> Nobody is spared. So that was, that was pretty serious, mm-hmm. unexpected, but okay. I mean, I guess it works. I guess in a book about necromancers, you have to kill people. Oh, which brings me to how unsettling would it be to feel people dying around you? Because Sabriel mentions that, right? She mm-hmm. mentions that she can feel like people's like lives winking out kind of like in the back of her mind or just sort of on her consciousness, but that she was afraid, like she was thinking touchstone was dead, but she didn't feel his death. How troubling yeah. would that be? Mm-hmm. Right. 
I like when she talks about the chickens dying mm-hmm. and how they have like a very confused sense of what happened to them when they die. She's like, yeah. oh, I got to try to shut that out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So between like animals who like don't quite get it and then people like meeting their deaths, like it's got to be yeah, really weird. Yes. I feel like you would have to work to compartmentalize some of that because that would Oh, that would just be really troubling, especially if it's someone that you like that you love. Right. So at the end, she and touchstone have declared their love for each other. That's gosh, the end just got really like intense Mm -hmm. because she dies. She gets killed. She dies. Touchstone doesn't die, but she thinks he's dead. Bunch of Horace dies like a lot of death. Yep. And he wandered into that knowing he was going to die. Yes. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, that's it. I'm done. Let's go do this. (laughs) Yes. It was, yeah. The end just got real heavy real quick. Yeah. And there's no like epilogue or anything to be like, oh, everyone's happy. Yes. (laughs) That is my criticism. This book needs a better or a longer or a second epilogue. Because the epilogue is Sabriel dead. Yeah, he's just hanging out in the in the rivers, just like, okay, I'm dead now. This is it. I like how she was just like, oh, this is nice. I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) And then like everybody's like, no, you need to get up. And she's like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) You have to live, ma'am. So there's nobody else to take your place. You need to get up. And she's like, fine. Haven't I done enough in the last like two weeks? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh gosh, yeah. That's not to me. That's not sufficient for an epilogue. Oh, that's like the last chapter of the book. The epilogue is like, I don't know, six years down the road. Sabriel's still alive and probably pregnant because they always are. <laughs> And with Touchstone's child and Touchstone has attempted to take, I don't know, establish rulership of the old kingdom or something because he's the only remaining prince. Yeah, Yeah, I just wrote it. I wrote the epilogue. Garth Nix, write the epilogue. (laughs) Well, he wrote a bunch of sequels now, but but even in the sequels, I think they jump to like, you know, a different, like they jump somewhere else because I I think, I want to say Lyriel has a lot to do with the Claire Mm. and you do because I remember finally learning that there was a sequel and being like yes now I finally get to find out what happens to them and I was like where are they where did they go yeah Yeah, I need it I want a satisfying epilogue Mm -hmm. I just I don't know maybe there's some fanfic out there (laughs) I I bet somebody has written some naughty Sabriel Touchstone fanfic. I'm sure. <laughs> now I want to look for it. <laughs> Ma gets in the corner judging. <laughs> I remember reading this book like for the first time. So like as, you know, more like a teenager and not having read some of the more explicit <laughs> like erotica that's out there and being and you know so like the romance between these two are like it's super low-key like they're just kind of like oh yeah you're there you're interesting and then all of a sudden they're like I think I kind of love you and you're like oh 
And I remember being like as a teenager being like, oh, this is so cute. Like, I love this and I want to hear more about them and whatever. And and now I'm like, wow, this is like really toned down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a side note to everything. Yes. It's pretty abrupt too. So their relationship is really cute. Uh, but it develops super quickly and with very little description. And because most of what I've been reading is romance novels, it's like they're looking at each other. She's upset because she thinks he might be having sex with someone. And then they're like, I think I love you. And she's like, I think I love you too. And I'm like, we went from zero to a hundred very rapidly. <laughs> yes. Yep. I love and that too. Had very little conversation. Like Sabriel complains about how little he talks to her yeah. like the whole time like I, I marked the one page where they're you know they've been been like traveling for a good like week and a half mm-hmm. and they're finally like in the reservoir and like he's like oh I finally like looked at her for the first time and yes. oh yeah she's kind of pretty like yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, okay. <laughs> like way to notice things yeah this just feels like trauma bonding to me. Like they're both <laughs> undergoing something arduous and challenging and scary and almost dying. It's like, okay, we're here. We might as well fall in love. <laughs> Agreed. But it, I mean, they are pretty cute. He So when she gets shot by an arrow, right? He like goes berserk. Yes. And lifts her and he, I don't know, loses his mind and just runs very rapidly to the Claire. He gives them a 10 minute head start. That's pretty impressive. It is. It is. That's some Olympic level running right there with a person. Yep. That's intense. In chain mail. Yeah. (laughs) With all the bells and swords, like it's a lot. So I was really worried he was going to die. We're going to have some cardiac stroke out. Or have to put him in another state of unconsciousness for 200 years. I'm like, all right, right, dude, calm down. Back to I mean, your Claire. The Claire who were there basically had to do that. They were like, okay, you you chill now. Yes. I like how they have such a weird warped view of time. And they're like, we saw him running yesterday. Or maybe it was tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, no, it was it was right now. Help us. <laughs> I liked them though. They sounded like fun. Like what a life. They're interesting. So they like live in a glacier and it's just like, you know, a couple hundred women living in this glacier. And there's like occasionally, so when they come of age, they like get the sight or they get kind of like clued into, you know, the, the collective sight of the Claire and they'll have these like big meetings. So they all have to like go to a room and kind of join together to, to form one whole image to then Ooh. like tell, you know, tell whoever else like, hey, we, we just saw this thing happen. Like, you know, go, go do something about it. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a puzzle. All of the pieces come together and form one image. Yeah. I feel like it would be pretty jarring when you're not part of the full image though. Cause then you just get like these flashes of things happening. It's like, Oh, what's that? Yeah. And then you have to try to like make sense of it. 
-hmm. like as part of a puzzle. I don't think I would like that. You like wake soul. up from a weird dream and you like talk to your friend who has like the other part of the weird dream. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So would you rather do that or would you rather be responsible for putting the undead back to the dead? Dead, dead. Would you rather be a Claire or an Ab Abhorson? I think I'd rather be an Abhorson. <sighs> Having time warped like that, I feel like would be very confusing. Yeah. Also, well, here's the thing. If you like pick Abhorson, though, you have to learn how to do all these like fancy movements with the bells and stuff. And you have to be musical and all that. And I can't even whistle. <laughs> so I feel like I would just immediately die as an Abhorson. Yeah. Um, so... Five minute tenure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and instead of being nice like they are to Sabriel, they'll be like, let's just, you know what? Let her die. <laughs> Let her go down the river. <laughs> It's fine. Do we really need an Edwarson? <laughs> <laughs> she was really bad at this. <laughs> we'll find another one. <laughs> I don't think I'm coordinated enough to be an Edwarson. Yeah. You know, it talks about how she's doing two bells at once, like one in a figure eight and one like in a different direction. And I can't even use a tennis racket. Like, I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I'm coordinated enough or brave enough. I will fully admit to being a coward. I <laughs> want to wander into death. I do not want to battle scary reservoir creatures. Like I am a chicken and not ashamed. I'd rather have wonky time. I mean, Sabriel was almost like raised in death. Like what did she say in the beginning? Like she had you know, walked past like the sixth gate or something by the time she was like 16 or, mm -hmm. or younger than that. Like she's been there a lot. She's pretty used to it. But I agree, like trying to ring two bells at once, it's hard enough to like rub your stomach and pat your head. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine trying to, to do that. No. Mm -hmm. I'd mess it up and kill everybody. Yeah. That's the end. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> The whole world just like gets sucked into, <laughs> into death. <laughs> Whoops. My B guys. We'll try again another day. <laughs> do we, do y'all want to say anything more about Sabriel and Touchstone's relationship? We kind of so talked about it a little bit. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so I know you had thoughts about when they first meet and she sees his carving. Oh, yeah. It just seemed a little unnecessary. They went into detail about how they could see veins on his eyelids and then and then decided to also elaborate on the perfected carving of his genitalia. <laughs> and again, like I kind of remember like being a, you know, young young person reading this being like oh my goodness like oh it's titillating <laughs> like it, it was kind of similar like to her response of her being like oh it's a penis like, oh. <laughs> like but it seems sort of unnecessary it was like okay like we got it he's naked and you can see veins in his eyes so yeah we can probably see that too <laughs> yeah. could you imagine though coming to like 
after 200 years of being a figurehead and the like first thing is you know somebody like some girl or some woman just like saw you naked or you were up there naked for anyone to come and see and look at like your veiny eyelids like he did see very unbothered by that he did he was like oh I'm kind of naked and he was like oh great some clothes thanks like did not seem to mind no Oh, so I thought it was hysterical when he's trying to put on her pants. He's like, his legs are too muscled to fit in. It's like, okay, dude. I get spent a whole bunch of time watching him hop around before he was like, yeah, there's some clothes over here. There's uh, a kilt. Yeah. Oh, and I like when he starts. So he, you know, is released from the ship and he starts crying. And Moggett's like, those tears aren't going to help anything. Stop crying. <laughs> Dang, Moggett. <laughs> His whole family's dead. Like, yep. he couldn't let him mourn for a minute. Whatever, dude. Okay. Moggett's like, you've had 200 years. You're done. <laughs> you've been lazing around for 200 years. He's been floating in a river. He's been floating in a river for 200 years. Like, you know, get over it. Get together. The, so when they get to the inn, the scene where Sabriel is is taking a bath and she can hear the people in the room next to her having sex and she thinks it's touchstone Mm -hmm. she finds out it's not again this is another so i was reading this thinking that it was a kid's book and i was like wow things got intense for this being a book for targeted towards children and then i young adults it makes a little bit of a difference i guess um she was so upset though and was like you were just complaining about him and how he doesn't talk enough and he calls you abhorsen or madam or lady or something like what are these feelings sabriel i like how she also tries to snap herself out of it by being like why do you feel this way you like just met him this is also like the first guy that you have met out of school like get yourself together yeah. <laughs> and she's like but i'm still hurt <laughs> like, yeah. yeah this is also another scene of Moggett being like ridiculous he waits for a while to tell her <laughs> that's not his room touchstone is downstairs <laughs> oh see I never thought he waited I thought because he had like come from downstairs to tell her and he happened to get there and then was just kind of like tap 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh I thought he was there for a little bit but maybe not like when she goes down to to get him and she's being like kind of flirty with him and he like shuts it down real fast (laughs) so she like taps him on the shoulder and she's like "Mm, the bath's ready for you my like what did she call him like my smelly swordsman and he just kind of like looks at her and is like uh i just want to have a bath like (laughs) she's like okay i'll I'll have lunch sent to your room okay (laughs) enough of that (laughs) a little awkward they're a little awkward. Yeah, they uh, go from that to "I love you" like pretty quick. <laughs> we just def- we took a leap there. We took a big old leap. Yeah. And her response to him being like, "I love you. I hope you don't mind." Is like, I think I love you too, but let's talk about it in a little bit. Yeah. The bells seem so. I like the so I, I like the description of the bells, and I, death is really interesting too. But the bells the way that they're described in the different sounds that they make, I really like the way that that's put in as part of the world building for this, this story. Uh, it seems like a high pressure accessory. 
you pick the wrong one, we're having problems. And also they're unwieldy. So it's not just like you ring a bell. It's like you have to ring the bell the correct way. And it kind of fights you and wants to ring itself its own way. Like there's a lot of skill that goes into this. The, our main character is very, you know, she... Oh, there, she has her like moments where she fumbles within the story because she's 18 and never been to this place or hasn't been to the old kingdom since she was five and is just swinging it, you know, but she has, she's had to learn like a lot of skill and memorize a whole book. And she's only 18. Um, she's impressive as a, a main character for all that she's accomplished. She really is like knowing all of her charter magic stuff and then all of the, you know, free magic necromancy that she had to learn. Like it's, it's a lot. And then she goes, finally goes and like picks up the books from her father's house and she's like, oh crap, I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> like, yeah. So to know all that and then realize you still have so much else to learn. Mm -hmm. And she absorbs it so quickly too. Like I can't imagine having to learn like a whole bunch of different symbols that are also different musical notes and have to do them correctly. Otherwise you die. Like it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. She handles it well. She does handle it really well. I feel bad for her a few times. I feel it seems like Mogget gives her kind of a hard time with some of the mistakes that she's made. Man, she's doing the best she can. Mm -hmm. never it's calling been, her stupid all the time yeah, like she hasn't been here in 13 years her she sees her dad rarely he made her memorize a book which i can't do it a book that constantly that. changes and like makes you forget certain parts of it mm -hmm. it's not as though she's had to do something simple and it's not as though she's had to fight creatures that she's run into like this often i mean her dad has given her some basic training it sounds like clearly the intention was for her to have more but there wasn't the opportunity for that so i feel defensive of her when ma gets giving her a hard time yeah. she's doing the best she can it, and he is all of this knowledge about you know everything that's happened because he's been around for like millennia and he basically refuses to share any of it yes like, I know he's like kind of magically silenced by some things, but he doesn't even really give like great guidance. He, he's, you know, he is unhelpful. <laughs> the only time he really comes through for her is when they're in the paper wing, they've been attacked by those crows. Death is imminent. They are crashing. And he says, take my thing off. Don't forget the ring. And that's what saves them. And then he tries to kill her. Right. Mogget, you need to do better. <laughs> you're a bad helper <laughs> i'm sorry you've been forced into servitude but obviously you did something to get here so right and she really had nothing to do with that you know right. and he's like i'm coming after you and she's like why well, i have a concussion and probably like a broken <laughs> rib and now a broken nose and uh yeah well it's interesting that when she rebinds him and he's just like, yep, not going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what? Not even an apology. Sorry, I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> just, yep, that's, that's what'll happen. I'll be like super helpful and then, and then try to kill you. Mogget reminds me of several characters. 
So he reminds me of Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle. Same. I got that too. Yeah. And then he reminds me a little bit of the Bone Carver from <laughs> A Guitar. Yeah. Because he appears differently to people. Oh, yeah. That's right. Once you let him out of his bindings and stuff, he turns into this like crazy, dangerous creature that beats everything. So it was like, seemed like a mix of those two characters, especially the sassiness from Calcifer. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I got from like the Calcifer vibes too. Mm-hmm. And the way that his form changes. So in House Moving Castle, when Calcifer is just hanging out in the fireplace, he's just a gentle looking fire. But then when he really has to use his magic, you know, his fire form, it grows, it gets really large and it looks more frightening in the movie, at least. Um, Changes color as well, I think. Like the form is certainly more aggressive looking. And to me, that's kind of what happens with Mogget when he's, you know, just a friendly cat versus when he's had his collar removed and he is scary and demanding the right to Sabriel's death. Oh, that's right. Because I didn't get to that last 10%. He does kind of like travel along with, because we end up leaving him with Sabriel's father in the reservoir without his collar. Mm-hmm. And then, right, he kind of shows back up with Caragor in both their free free magic forms. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to kill her. And I get like, to do it. Now you're... Yeah, and then she's like, great, now you're two cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of my favorite images, though, as of the newly bound um, creatures as a black and white cat and both simultaneously throwing up a, a, a ring. <laughs> <laughs> it is like, very okay. cat. <laughs> it's like, all right, here you go. That's great. I could see that. Cats are pretty salty anyway. At least mine can be. I feel like a cat form is a good form for this like this super hateful monster creature that's been bound <laughs> yeah i can't imagine though having like your greatest enemy caragor now is a cat mm-hmm. and like they can't do anything truly terrible but like you know that's the cat that's gonna be like oh i can't do too much but i'm definitely gonna vomit in your shoe yeah. every day <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm definitely going to, like, find that one thing you like and knock it off the shelf. (laughs) Glass of water? Yes. Uh. (laughs) Roger is, or Karagor is now just going to, you know, wreak (laughs) havoc on the abhorsons in minute ways for all of eternity. Lay down on all of their white clothing. Yep. After it's been washed. (laughs) So something that I appreciate about the characters in this book is that they're really honest about their fears and they're thrown into a lot of situations that are pretty scary. And so for characters to be honest about that, I think that is nice. And I think that comes from having read a bunch of books recently where the characters are faced with really frightening situations or massive challenges. We, uh, we read so we read the Throne of Glass series this summer and 
that's those are just fraught with challenging situations for the main character and she just slogs through it every time and so it's nice to read a book where the characters are admitting to being scared of things touchstone at, at when they're in the reservoir so touchstone set talks about being scared and wanting to leave he considers bailing out and just running away and uh, when they're trying to open the sarcophagus that roger is held in touchstone makes a comment about not being a he's not sure if he can like do anymore and sabriel says the same thing so it's nice to encounter it that's a to me that's a realistic response to this awful and challenging and scary situation that they've been thrown into I would have a hard time slogging through, right? Yeah. Be like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm done now. So I'm going to go. Yeah, so. I agree. I, I also really appreciate them being able to, to be like, I'm scared. It's like, I'm scared too, but let's go into this reservoir and face the greatest evil ever. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the teamwork that we see with uh, our main characters, with Touchstone and Sabriel. Um, Sabriel struggles with being able to cast the magic uh, to set up uh, the charter marks like the north, south, east, west thing because of the reservoir and the darkness there. And so Touchstone lends her, like he, I think he just puts a hand on her, but he's able to lend some of his charger magic to her to help in that situation, which is nice to see. We've got teamwork, but also the teamwork that gets pulled in uh, when they, they go to Encelstier and the charter mages in the military help with trying to open the sarcophagus. And then they go back to Wyverly college and she uses her classmates. They, they pitch in and help too. It's nice to see, you know, our main care, the Aporson, which is this well-respected position and is supposed to be very powerful is able to like use help pull in some teamwork there you can do hard stuff but you don't have to do it alone yeah and so many of those charter mages and ansel steer are self-taught they're like fairly weak because most people in in that i guess section of the world just don't even believe in magic because the magic only kind of leeches a cup like you know i don't know what like 30 miles or something north of the wall so as you keep getting further and further north, like magic doesn't exist. So like people don't think about it. So when people come to the wall, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is a thing. Like I'll, I'll learn some basic skills. And they're like, oh, do you have this like very basic knowledge? Please come help us open this magic sarcophagus mm -hmm. that makes you really ill to be around. They're like, all right. Vicki, did you make this note about being tired about Touchstone and his servant thing? I did. He's so just exhausting at first. He's like, no, all I can do is be her servant. Like I can't be her friend or be her helper. I'm just here to serve her because I was so bad and blah, my past. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. And Sabriel's just like, oh my God, just be normal, act normal. <laughs> it is happening. And, and, you know, I know his mistake like led to 
some pretty horrible things, but like it was a fairly honest mistake. He was like, "Oh, what's up? What's up, brother? Like, you're gonna go with with your mom and your sister? Cool, cool. Oh, wait. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he didn't intentionally get his mother murdered, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would still be hard, but yes. definitely. But he's start. He's certainly carrying a lot of shame there. Maybe misplaced. Yeah. The fact that he won't even like talk to her. It's like, dude, just, you know, talk. (laughs) Angst, angst, angst. (laughs) And poor Sabriel has just been stuck with this like cat (laughs) demon thing for a while. Now she's got, instead of just like a helpful friend, she's got a moody Howdy, man. Howdy, man. <laughs> <Body> man. <laughs> to add to the mix, it is not a good combo. <laughs> like, I'm surprised she didn't just like leave them all behind at some point. <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> I like when she goes to find, and she finally finds her dad too, and he starts like throwing, like info dumping on her too, and she starts getting really angry. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's like, why does this keep happening? <laughs> Vicky, did you make this note about Caragor being bothersome? Yeah. Okay. So Caragor's description is so just awful. So he's seven foot tall. He's impossibly deep chested, narrow waisted. His head is too thin and too long. And his mouth spreads from ear to ear with his eyes being thin slits, like that's just very disturbing sounding. Mm-hmm. Like I can picture it in my head and I relate it to um, Ryuk, Rick, Rook, Ryuk from Death Note. Um, I don't know if either of you have read or watched that series. Um, I watched part of it. We should Google Riot, Ryuk because uh, you'll see what I mean. Um. Ooh, yeah, I don't no. like this at all. Why is there somebody <laughs> here? Ew. Rude. I was uh, <laughs> But this is what I had pictured in my head. Ugh. Right? Yeah, mine was, so I picture Sauron <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings. And I know that's not what this is describing at all, but that's where my mind went, so. Ugh. I don't like yours. I'm going to keep mine. <laughs> I also kind of thought of, I mean, Ryuk's eyes are a bit big, but right. yeah, very similar to that. Mm, is how scared. I, but maybe a little bit more because um, a little bit like Gumby like, because it's, it's still a construct and they keep saying it was kind of like sloppily thrown together. So I, I picture its movements as being like oddly kind of, fluid like it doesn't have proper like bones and joints but yeah I mean I feel like all of the all of the monsters are pretty horrifying like most of the dead creatures are some sort of cross between like an animal and a slug but it's all like a shadowy black substance like mm-hmm. the mordicant is perpetually like on fire like mm-hmm. it's they're all you know fairly terrifying yes and then at the end so near the end uh caragor is threatening 
Sabriel and he's come to make his blood sacrifice. He's going to kill everybody. Um, and he makes this spell work. He requires a kiss from Sabriel. So he's coming in like to her face and she's like, no cringy back and turns her cheek. And I just, it's so cringy. Oh, I felt the discomfort in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like when your creepy relative comes in for a hug or a kiss and you're just like, no, seven foot tall, terrifying Gumby monster. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Did not like it. Thank you. Felt very threatened. So I think this probably just speaks to the type of books I've been reading recently, but it was nice to run into secondary characters that were nice people like Colonel Horace. When Sabriel shows up at the wall to cross into the old kingdom, you know, the guards are all guardy and then Colonel Horace comes out and he's just a nice guy and he's genuinely concerned about her safety and ponders not letting her go into the old kingdom because he also has a daughter and he would be worried about her. And it's like, wow, I haven't run into characters that are just nice people in a while. (laughs) (laughs) I also like though how he was like, yeah, but you're not like my daughter you're the daughter of the abhorson and like i'm not gonna stop you and so like recognizes too that like it's not his place to tell her even though she is like a young woman what Mm -hmm. it is her business you know he's like well go on yes he is respectful of her title too which is Mm -hmm. just another little thing and then even when she returns um he he takes everything that she's saying about the incoming threat seriously and feeds her which i appreciate and is just very not he does his best to help her he listens to what she tells him about where the real threat is going to be he even though he's gonna die he does what's necessary he's just a stand-up guy yep. mm-hmm. and we've read books where like if you know somebody has been confronted with you know a person going no we need to borrow you know some soldiers and you have to be prepared for this coming I'm just like you don't know what you're talking about you're just a girl yeah right so so it's nice to see despite being or even though she is an 18 year old female people take her and her title as a person seriously they're respectful I like that it's nice to read that yeah when she she got to the fishing village too and the elder was immediately like Mm -hmm. you're a person please come help us and I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about reading the book as, you know, a teenage girl was, you know, somebody just giving agency to, to a young woman and being like, yeah, okay, you know what's going on and you can handle yourself and go do the things. Yeah. Something else that I like about this book is the way, so you talked about the different gates and the different, uh, types of bodies of water that we go through in death i really enjoyed that description as part of the world building for this story too i feel i feel like that's i don't know that i've read a book where death is described in that way before and i liked it 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 felt like a good descriptor um, but the way it was described was really interesting as well yeah i agree it gives it gives it some good depth and and like an actual presence in the book yeah vicky did you make this note about how you picture death Oh yeah. I also put, uh, so I don't picture a subway tunnel. I don't know why I put subway. I picture like a sewer (laughs) tunnel. Dark and dank. 
right that's what I picture though because it's like it has the water going through and then like because they mentioned like it uh, being able to walk on the side a few times so in my head I'm picturing like a sidewalk and there are like not waterfalls and sewers but like you know yeah water that comes down so that's what I picture I picture this like sewer in my head okay when I always pictured it as kind of like Janet's void from the good place except for really dark and gray and misty like foggy so it just kind of you have kind of the border of life or whatever behind you and then or the the previous gate and then the gate next gate in front of you but then it's all just kind of gray water in between that goes on forever in either direction what uh what did you picture as marissa i don't know that i've like from what's described in the story or death in general? The story. The story. Oh, I mean, I pictured bodies of water, like was so like just streams in, in I don't know, in a forest. Oh. That'd be so yeah. nice if it was in a forest. Mine was a pleasant, dis- like pleasant visual of <laughs> <laughs> streams or rivers or small bodies of water surrounded by trees. It does sound lovely. Yeah. I mean, death isn't always a terrible thing for a lot of characters or for a lot of like the monsters that are described in this book. It's meant to be terrible, but. I was going to say the other thing about um, this book. So there seems to be like this flaw in it where, so, you know, they have like the whistle sort of um, in between the wall um, for Ansel's, Ansel's ear, steer and um the old kingdom and it has like whistles sort of that nobody can hear mm-hmm. right wind flutes wind flutes sorry wind flutes but their power gives out once a porson dies yeah because he set the spell right but like that seems really dumb because here's the thing that just seems poorly thought out right like I had this this is a problem in many books because why would you set something up like that you know it's like oh this is the only thing that's protecting you know something really important but when I die that protection's gonna be lost like why and then also though why doesn't the paper wing why doesn't the paper wing lose its magic Maybe it had a different spell on it. I mean, maybe, but why wouldn't she put like why? Well, because if you, if you remember planning like, to die. But I mean he's gonna die one day. Maybe he thought he would be back in time to redo the spell or to pass it on to what's her Sabriel. That it I just, don't know. It did sound like part of the issue with the dead coming back though had to do with like the broken charter stone that was nearby. And so maybe he thought he could, you know fix the things, you know, and, and stop Caragor before he passed beyond the final gate. Like, if you're somebody who needs to routinely cross over into death, you would, which risks you getting stuck there and you're in dangerous situations, you think you would set up a super important spell like that to be, to last. Mm. Yeah, I did like, though, it did sound just like it was more like a nuisance, like they kept talking about recently dead people who raised and like showed up for <laughs> duty the next day. Yeah. And like people being like, wait a minute, like you're dead. <laughs> okay, let's do our favorite quotes. 
So I picked one from Touchstone. It's when he declares his love to Sabriel. It's just really sweet. So he thinks, I am not afraid. He said to himself, I love you. He whispered, I hope you don't mind. I just went, aw. The whole I hope you don't mind was really sweet. Cute. Yeah, it was just cute. I highlighted that one. Yeah, it's cute. So I liked the line... This is it. So this is near the end. Caragor says this to Sabriel. He is getting in her face and his rotting breath is like coating her skin. And I think she at one point describes it as like the scent of a hundred rotting abattoirs, right? So um, he's threatening her and talking about getting her, her blood contribution for breaking the charter stones. He says, will you sleep? unknowing till the great stones are ready for your blood or will you go waking every step of the way i like it that my discomfort was strong i like it was very uncomfortable to read that scene he's in her face and you can feel her discomfort and that cringing pulling away situation like feeling and so this this little phrase right here i think is a good oh just the feelings i had i liked it I do like the last line from the Book of the Dead that says, does the walker choose the path or the path the walker? Mm. Yeah. Which I thought was a fun quote that also kind of sums up all the bloodlines and charter that runs through the whole book. Mm-hmm. All righty. Final thoughts on Sabriel. I enjoyed this read as much as I enjoyed my like 10 previous reads. (laughs) Probably will want to go on and read more of the sequels to refresh my memory on those too. I'm definitely curious about the books that follow. I want to say that he did write a prequel. So maybe that'll give some more information about the other Abhorsons. Um, But um, I would definitely consider reading the other books after this. Vicky, what about you? I enjoyed the reread again. It was it was good. It was fun. Um, I have the second one, Lyriel. Um, I don't. I haven't actually read it, but I, I should pick it up and read it one one day. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.